How can wearable simulation devices revolutionize nursing education and the development and mastery of crucial clinical skills? Let's talk all about the latest news in simulation innovation with Amy Cowperthwaite, the founder and CEO of avkin.com, right here on episode 311 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. In these days of the COVID-19 pandemic, I'm still bringing you my monthly pandemic updates at the end of each month. Meanwhile, this podcast continues to be all about you, your personal and professional development, your nursing and healthcare career, and the healthcare system as a whole. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, technology, medicine, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride. Whether you're new to the show or you've been on this journey with me for months or maybe even years, over 300 episodes, thanks for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And did you know that Nurse Keith Coaching is your destination for all things related to your career? I offer individualized coaching for nurses and other healthcare professionals all around the world. And if you mention the show, you can get 10% off your first coaching package. So email me at keith at nursekeith.com for us just to hop on the phone and have a chat. The show notes for this episode where you can learn all about Avkin and all about Amy Cowperthwaite will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 311. Amy, welcome to the show, and we'll get to your bio in due course throughout our conversation. We'll touch on your illustrious history and all the cool things you've done. And I just want to ask you an initial question just to jump off the cliff here together or into the fire, whatever whatever metaphor you want. So what is the state of simulation technology on average, out there in the nursing education world? What's happening with simulation? Well, thanks so much for inviting me on, Keith. I'm really excited to be able to share. Um, I think the the biggest thing regarding the state of simulation technology is it's a bit varied because it's fairly a fairly new industry. Um, really got its legs up underneath of it in the early 2000s. And um, at this point in time, in most all nursing education, as far as pre-licensure, there is a sophisticated simulation center um, somewhere within the boundaries of the university, which will typically include at least one, probably more than one um, high fidelity mannequin that has a pulse and a heartbeat um, with multiple mid fidelities. And they, you know, they have varying levels of ability. Um, So in other words, in this, you might for a high fidelity, you would see the chest rising and falling. You could put an ET tube down and intubate, you know, for anesthesiology or nurse anesthetist. And then you could also, um, you know, do some more sophisticated cardiac rhythms. For the mid-fidelity, it's really, you could feel a pulse, but the chest doesn't rise and fall. You really, you know, are limited as far as your advanced skills. Um, and then there's also some very low-fidelity mannequins there as well. Uh, they're working on AR and VR. Uh, that that is pretty, you know, that's very new to the world in general, but especially to healthcare simulation. Um, and then also there is a movement within the simulation world towards simulated participants or simulated patients, which is really where I have my area of most area of expertise, and that's live people that are trained to be patients and family members, and. Um, there's technology that now can be made or used for uh, advancing the invasive procedures that could be done on these healthy people that are pretending to be sick. Wow. Okay. So let me unpack this for a second. <laughs> so sure. low fidelity, mid fidelity, high fidelity, that's kind of new to me around simulation, though I read through your website and the information you sent me. So I did notice you talked about high fidelity mannequins in terms of your company. So I got that. Now, AR and VR are augmented reality and virtual reality, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a thing, right? That's kind of coming these days. Yeah, the technology is pretty new. Um, you know, it, it, it's limited. So if you think of surgical procedures and mm-hmm. things along those lines, where there's really, it's really high stakes that they get something correct. There's, they're becoming more mature. 
Um, there's also some, you know, if you think of uh, nurse practitioners or physician's assistant schools where they have to go in and do a test where they interview a patient and do a health assessment. Um, there's some virtual patients that, you know, are kind of um, in that realm, but there's not very much sophistication out there. There's still a lot to be learned. And, and I think one of the biggest challenges with that is that you have to be able to use your hands. You know, they have to know where your hands are in space and time to be able to, yeah. uh, uh, you know, really um, calibrate, I guess would be the right thing, but we need to be able to have them put on sterile gloves or hold instruments in their hands as they're doing procedures. So that's still a challenge to really overcome as far as healthcare is concerned. Right. And then when you mentioned in that amazing description, introduction to this world, you mentioned live, you know, trained professional patients, more or less. And a lot of us have, or I have, um, done CEUs where there's trained actors for mental health simulated patients where they act out, you know, schizoid personality disorder, whatever, you know, so that's one thing, but to be a trained patient to actually, you know, undergo a simulated procedure is another thing. And we're going to talk about Avkin's technologies and how it doesn't mean that a person who signs up as a simulated patient isn't going to have like, they're not going to be catheterized like 15 times a day. There's, we're, we're going to talk about how we get around the discomfort and safety issues and infection issues around like actually doing a catheterization on a, on an actor, for instance, though that's, that should be a very highly paid profession if someone's doing that. Um, so a lot of things are changing and First, I just want to say that, you know, you're master's educated. You're also a clinical nurse specialist. You're the CEO of your company, which we're going to talk about in the second half. And then you have these other initials at the end of your, your list of credentials after your name. And it's one I'd never heard of before. And you told me what it is, but I'm going to ask you here. So you tell the audience. So it's CHSE. What is CHSE and where does that certification come from? So it is a certified healthcare simulation educator, mm -hmm. and it is a certification that comes out of the Society for Simulation and Healthcare, which is one of the three largest um, simulation nonprofits in the world. Um, and that the, the point behind that is that there are uh, credentials, there is a review of your you know, resume and what you have done as far as simulation, and then also an exam to complete. Okay, so it's the Society of Healthcare Simulation? No, Society for Simulation in Healthcare. Uh, almost, I got it. Okay, and then yeah. it's a Certified Healthcare Simulation Educator. Correct. Okay, so for those out there who are interested in technology and interested in these the innovations in simulation, which I'm assuming 10 or 20 years ago from now, we're going to be looking at like really sophisticated augmented reality and virtual reality. And so if people want to get involved in these sorts of technologies, it sounds like this is sort of the time to hop on board, right? Absolutely. Uh, if you have at all a, an interest or a desire to watch and see people learn, you know, watch the wheels turning as, as they're, as they're really growing in their, their knowledge, whether it's pre-licensure or post-licensure, um, and then also a willingness to adapt to some technology. It, it is definitely a very interesting field. And, you know, as I said, we're, we're kind of late to the game. Um, the military has been doing simulation for years and years and years, as well as aviation. Uh, but healthcare is really fairly new. We started in the, in the early 2000s and have really started to take off. But it's, it's, it's still a growing field and there's lots of opportunity. Yeah. So speaking of the military, I mean, a lot of medical advances do come out of the military. You know, World War I, there were advances. I mean, there were advances during the Crimean War with Florence Nightingale, right? And there were advances in Korea, World War II. There have been advances during the wars in the second half of the, or the, the, the last third of the 20th century. So the military can drive a lot of this, but it sounds like there's a lot of stuff happening in the private sector. Yes, because I, I believe that healthcare delivery is very different in the military versus the healthcare sector. The, you know, the, just thinking about it, insurance and how 
that factors into everything payables and, Mm -hmm. you know, all of that. So I think that um, the, even the key metrics for the, the, uh, the way that healthcare is now being held accountable for their hospital acquired infections and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that their pain points or their deliverables are different. And so, uh, you know, because, uh, innovation is really a disruption of, of an industry because you're, you're trying to solve a problem. I think they just have different problems and that's why there has been a lot of innovation within the private sector doesn't mean that the military hasn't done some wonderful things as far as simulation goes because they have but theirs is really focused on you know battlefield recovery or immediately post traumatic event um and and less on the longer term although that's changing a little bit but it's it's just a different focus and a different problem base right and we have innovation happening through the members of the National Nurses and Business Association, where I've been associated for a long time. And, you know, there's a lot of product developers and innovators, people who've been developing prototypes for all sorts of things. Then we have SONCL, the Society of Nurse Scientists, Innovators, Entrepreneurs, and Leaders. And then we have Tim Raderstorff and his group over at Ohio State University. I know you know him and he's been on my show. And then we've got Marion Leary, who hosts the Amplify Nursing podcast from UPenn, from Penn Nursing, and they also are deep into innovation. So, I mean, we're hearing about it all the time. And then we hear about companies like your company, Avkin. So before we get into Avkin in the second half, I want to talk about what's on everybody's mind for the most part. So, you know, it's the We don't want it to be the elephant on the table, of course, because we're not letting it be. There's the pandemic, right? We're recording this on January uh, 13th, 2021, and we're almost a year in. I mean, we're getting really close to a year. And I just heard in the news today that in England, they've lost more citizens than they lost in all of World War II as of today or this week in the United States, we're losing more people than those who died during the 9-11 terrorist attacks in 2001. We're losing that many people every day. So things are, I mean, things are not pretty. And during the course of this, a lot of us, and I bet you have been too, and Marion Leary and a lot of educators, we're worried about how do we train our nurses, our nursing students to be skilled clinicians so that when they get out of school, obviously they're not going to be experts, they're novices, but they're at least going to have, you know, as much training as we can possibly provide. And I know some schools are getting their students or have gotten their students back into the clinical space. I have a friend whose daughter is up in Flagstaff at University of Arizona, and she's back in the clinical space and has been since last semester. But this is an issue for not getting enough hands-on, right? And and I've had conversations about what are we going to do with these students when they graduate, they pass the NCLEX, but they haven't, it's no fault of their own that they haven't had enough hands-on. And this is where the AR comes in, the VR comes in, but that's still in its infancy, really, or toddlerhood. And that's where we have things like what you're doing. So from your perspective throughout the course of the pandemic, and you founded your organization, your company in 2015, so you really predated, you were way ahead of the curve, but what is going on and um, how have you seen nursing education in terms of physical hands-on skills taken a bit of a hit? I would agree with you. You know, I'm still an educator at the University of Delaware, so I have two passions, but they both speak to each other as far as skill sets, knowledge base, and talents and abilities. So um, what we saw initially in in March and February and March, as everything was unraveling, was we weren't prepared. We weren't prepared that we never thought in a million years that our students would be asked to not come back to clinical or that the university would completely shut down its entire operations and everybody would be sent home. That just was completely shocking news. Um, and, and I think um, I've been asked before, you know, what would you say then to, uh, you know, educators and nurse leaders in the pre-licensure state is we now know it's possible and we can't get caught 
this way again. Simulation is a fantastic medium to provide an alternative for hands-on. Now, initially they weren't, because the universities were shut down completely and they hadn't considered that there was accrediting bodies and you know requirements for clinical um, by the boards of nursing, we had to do everything virtually. So even at Avkin, we converted a lot of our simulation learning um, opportunities or offerings to a virtual platform because if they had been taught the skill, then you could have a patient at home with, let's say, a tracheostomy wearing the device and a family member calling and saying, I'm not sure how to suction this patient, you know, my husband or my wife or whatever, can you please help? So, you know, again, if you think if you can teach it, then you know it. But if they had never been taught the skill, you can't expect that they're going to be able to explain that or teach it. So some of it was that we had to focus on the communication skills. We know that about 80% of all um, Sentinel events are secondary to some type of communication lapse. So we can work on that virtually. And that's really, you know, where we stuck with is the cognitive and the affective domains and thought, well, we'll bring them back and get skills in the in the fall. And as we all know, there's some truth to that, um, although a lot of regulations with how many people can be in one particular room. But the universities got smart and didn't just shut down all of the university. They they did open it up again, by and large to engineering students who have to be working together, you know, on with tools and things, and then nursing students and places that had, you know, required clinical hours. So with, with a reduced amount of students per hour, you know, and, and a lot of regulations, they were able to bring them in and work on some skills, but regardless, um, they're not going to come out. The students are, these students that are graduating now and probably in a year or two are really going to suffer. Now, even if they know the skills, it's the confidence, the confidence that they can do these things. And that's where simulation really shines, that we can give them these unusual circumstances or patient presentations that they they would normally see in a clinical environment, but has all the competencies that they're going to need in order to do the, the patient care. I still believe firmly that there's a combination of simulation and clinical clinical learning, I think that, that they go hand in hand. But we do need to be have a more sophisticated simulation program and the awareness that they could take away our clinical sites again. One thing we also worked on um, is the idea that, okay, if these students are going to graduate and not be as prepared as they were before, let's build a curriculum that's focused on the top 10 most common nurse nursing errors. Mm-hmm. And, and that really um, that really drove what we did at Avkin through COVID was we created curriculum that focused on, you know, managing lines and tubes, failure to rescue, professionalism in the in the clinical environment, all the things that um, the Joint Commission and um, Quality and Safety Education for Nurses points to as far as common the most common errors. So that as these students graduate, if they aren't prepared. We can put them through an orientation, a tense simulation experience to really get them comfortable. And because our products allow for the the idea of psychomotor skills being incorporated with live people, it's much closer to what they're actually going to experience in the clinical environment, but not putting any actual patients at risk or themselves at risk. Well said. Oh my gosh. And I've had some conversations on this show and offline with people about how, you know, this is another conversation. I just want to mention it. How nurse residencies at hospitals and medical centers are these elite, very difficult, highly competitive environments. And only a fraction of nursing grads, new grads get into nurse residency programs. They're highly competitive. Personally, I feel like nurse residency programs should be ubiquitous at every medical center in the entire country and that they need to be subsidized somehow. But that's another conversation. Um, You know, medical students get, they get their residency and their internship and all these other types of things. And nursing students, new grads need this leg up too, because it's about patient safety and, and actually quality of care. So, you know, that could go a long way, but again, it's another conversation. So we've we've touched on the pandemic. We've touched on how we have low fidelity, medium fidelity, high fidelity. We've mentioned um, augmented reality, and we've mentioned you know all these different uh, what would you call them um, technologies 
that are being developed. And there's all these different ideas for how to take this these innovations and bring them up several notches. And you're an educator at University of Delaware. You're also the CEO of your company. You're also a clinical nurse specialist. You're also certified as a healthcare simulation educator. And you're you're not solely coming from the point of view of being an educator and a simulation specialist. You were an ER nurse for many years. You found your niche, you know, transitioning into you know, simulation environments and that sort of thing at University of Delaware. And it sounds like from what I read in your bio that you saw a trach simulation gone awry, whatever that means. And I want to ask you what that means. And then you decided, huh, how can we add a human element to these standards around how we do simulations? So before we take a break, could you just describe what this trach simulation gone awry was. And then we're going to take a quick break and come back and dive deeper. Sure. Um, I want to preface it by saying that when I was a nursing student, I had a trach patient as one of my completes, you know, that you always get a complete patient sure. before you graduate. And I had a really noxious experience with suctioning that patient because the patient was semi-comatose, but when I hit the carina, again, unknowingly, the patient reacted and I, I w- it scared me because mm-hmm. I didn't know what to expect. And I, I thought this patient's coming alive and is, you know, oh, no. it just really was very terrifying because, you know, as a student nurse, you're just trying to figure everything out where your hands go and make sure everything's sterile. But I mistakenly hit the carina and the patient, you know, reacted yeah. with that nonverbal reaction. And, and it, it, so I've always had this kind of special place in my heart to prepare nursing students um, or even novice nurses on what to do when they have a patient with a tracheostomy. But the, the tracheostomy sim that you're referring to mm-hmm. um, was that we had a, a mannequin. And at that time, that's all that we had available to teach tracheostomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, 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 pa- the students were to go in and they were to see a patient in respiratory distress. So when they walked in, the patient was breathing rapidly at about 30 times a minute. And if they listened to the lung sounds, they would hear crackles and recognize that they needed to suction because again, I'm working with novices and um, they were junior level. So they were pretty, pretty green. But what happened was they walked in and they said, Mr. Jones, what's your birthday? And I, as the instructor, if I, if my patient was verbal, could speak through a microphone and it would come out of the head of the mannequin but I didn't react or I didn't respond because I wanted them to recognize that trach patients can be nonverbal and that they would have to work through another way of communicating with the patient. But when Mr. Jones didn't answer them, they went to feel for a pulse. And when they went to feel for the pulse, they squoze the, the wrist too tightly and they didn't feel a pulse. And all of a sudden we are doing CPR on Mr. Jones because they think that he's passed away and He's not actually dead. He just needed to be suctioned. And I, oh. I, I, I just kept thinking if I could just have a nonverbal patient, if I could just have a real person in the room that has some type of an appliance um, that they could look at the patient and the patient could look back at them or, you know, try to mouth something to them like patients do or write something on a, on a pad, they would understand. And the objectives for that simulation would have been met, but but they, they didn't, they didn't understand what was happening. And I just kept thinking there has to be a better way because we know that about 80% of our communication is nonverbal. Yes. So we still need to incorporate that piece of it. And that was really, really, you know, poignant to me and kind of a mark, a mark in the sand as to when I said, okay, I'm not going to just accept what's out there. I'm going to make a change and do something different. Wow. Great story. Thank you. Really good story. And that's a really a perfect illustration to lead us into the second half and talk about how you brainstormed and actually came up with the idea to create a certain type of technology that could actually help a real live patient, so to speak, quote unquote, actually be there and respond without having to have an actual um, invasive procedure done on them by a student nurse. <laughs> so when we come back from the break, we're going to dive deeper and talk about what the Avkin technologies are really about and how they came about and what your plans are for the future. So we'll be right back for the second half of episode 311 of The Nurse Keith Show. 
So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other awesome listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support The Nurse Keith Show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith to read all about it. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Nurse Keith. And if you know someone who could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you'll receive credit for an hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit, so you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits. What an incredible deal. And please head over to nursekeith.com and sign up for my newsletter, which comes out regularly and brings you supportive messages, updates from my blog and my podcast, resources, and all sorts of other stuff. Remember, nursekeith.com, sign up for that newsletter, and you'll also get a free download from me as my gift to you. Anyway, those are my sincere asks today. So now let's dig back into today's topic without further ado. And welcome back to the second half of the Nurse Keith Show, episode 311. And remember, you're going to want to go to nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 311 to learn all about Amy Cowperthwaite, read about her bio and her history, and read all about Avkin, her company that she founded. And we're going to dive deeper into that right now. Okay, Amy? Sure. Okay, so right before the break, we were talking about a trach simulation gone awry, and nobody died. It was a mannequin, but you illustrated for us that the nursing students made some observations and poor choices that led to them doing CPR on a quote-unquote live patient who was not dead, whose heart hadn't stopped, and because of the limitations of that not quite high fidelity mannequin, there was only so much you could do to communicate with them. You had the microphone, you could talk through the the head of the mannequin and things like that, but the mannequin couldn't actually respond, right? Correct. And and again, in the trach patient simulation, I didn't want him to talk. I wanted them to have to, I wanted them to understand that trach patients can cannot be verbal right? and that they'll have to come up with an alternative. Right. Yeah. And if you have a mannequin without arms and, you know, unless you had a a mannequin where you could actually move the arms, you know, from afar, you know, there's only so much you can do as an educator. And then you have to unpack the experience for the students who might be traumatized by that point and say, okay, so what went wrong here? So Mm -hmm. going back to the simulation, which sounds like it was before 2015, because you founded your company in 2015, right? Mm-hmm. So when did this trach simulation gone awry occur? 2012 is when it went awry and 2013 is when we got started. Okay. So we'll put that 2012 trach simulation in the history books. Um, <laughs> simulation gone awry. Uh, Sparks CEO of new <laughs> nurse-led company. Film at 11. Okay. So, all right. So you started thinking, huh, what can I do here? So you're a nurse. You're a nursing educator. You are a clinical nurse specialist. Your master's prepared. So obviously, to me, you went to the nursing process. So you started assessing like what the heck is going on and how can I change it, right? So tell us the your thought process around once this trach simulation went awry, like where did your mind go? Well, I think it really started in 2006 when I was hired there. I, you know, again, I came... I was still working part-time in the ER, but I came out of the emergency department and I knew what clinical care was and what the expectations for clinical care was. And part of my responsibility was to get these students ready for clinical care. And I just felt as though the mannequins had significant limitations. And I did try. I tried to talk to the mannequin companies, to our salespeople and say, hey, could you do this? Could you do that? Um, But remember, they've they've spent thousands. I mean, at the time, it didn't dawn on me, but it I know now they've spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on the research and development 
of these, these, you know, innovations of yeah. these high fidelity mannequins. So to make the tweaks and changes they need needed to be able to, you know, make simulation better or make clinical care more realistic, they just couldn't do it. They couldn't manage those changes, um, especially, you know, think about discipline specific things that you would need. They, mm-hmm. they just, it was a broad, you know, one size fits all. And so I really became frustrated with that. Um, and I think most nurses typically when we assess a situation and know that it could be better and it has to be better, we start looking around for ways that we can make things better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a relationship with the theater department. By this point, I'd already developed a relationship with the theater department and we were co-teaching this course to provide simulated patients for our simulation. So we had about 20 students every semester and they were family members for the mannequin simulations or they were patients for the ones that didn't need invasive procedures. And I successfully got this program with the collaboration of the theater department and the physical therapy department up off the ground. So when I was looking for a way to solve my problem of I want to have a live person in the bed wearing something that simulates a tracheostomy, but also signals that they need to um, react and respond in the in real time, I began looking around in for people, faculty members in the engineering department. And um I found Jenny Buckley, who worked in the Department of Engineering, and they have a course. It, so it was it now became theater students, nursing students, and engineering students working together on this project. But they have a, it's called senior design, and they identify what the problem is, and they have to come up with a prototype in 15 weeks. And so you know we we sketched out you know the idea of what we were looking for and what we needed, and kind of the deliverables, the must-haves. And one of the must-haves was that when they hit the carina, because of my experience as a student nurse, when they hit the carina, the patient would get some type of notification so they could react in real time. So the mm. students would go in to their clinical settings prepared for what could happen. Um, there was also needed to be, to be a sensor at the faceplate. So then again, the patient could react the way the patient does if they're pushing too hard on the faceplate. So it created this awareness in real time but then they also got to get feedback from the patient at the end of it. So the idea was let's create, we called it a tracheostomy overlay at the time. We call it Avtrach now, but let's create this. And they said to me, well, electronics and mucus don't really work well together because I wanted them to have to actually suction out simulated mucus, which is another limitation of the mannequins. Hmm. And I said, well, you have 15 weeks to figure that out and get it done. Go for it. And it was, it was basically a double course. It was six, six of their college credits and it, they care a lot about their GPA. So they were able to really get this, this idea from my head to my hands. I call it my Walt Disney moment where something that I had dreamed of and imagined now became a product. Um, and I always joke cause I thought I was going to get, so when our customers order the Aftrake now, that's what I thought was going to be delivered to me, but it was really a prototype that looked like it was put together with bubble gum and glue. You know, it was, casting material and yoga mats to, to reduce costs, but it was, it was what I had asked for, you know, it was, and it was so cool to run our first studies on that and see the nurses reactions and see the reactions to the patient's reactions, which we could never do before. It was really fun. That's, that's amazing. And that's multidisciplinary collaboration at its best engineering students, theater students, and nursing students who to thunk it. And speaking of collaboration, um, George, the cat just kind of hopped up on the desk. He wants to get in on the action here. He's a, he's a wannabe podcaster or, or (laughs) podcaster as we call him. So um, (laughs) he's hanging out here with you. So, okay. Where do we where do we begin? There's so much to talk about. So, all right. So we have multidisciplinary collaboration. You came up with this idea, like you said, from your head to your hands. You wanted them to deliver something to you, and it was high stakes because they wanted a, an A. So they had to create this, even if it was bubble gum and you know band aids or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you had this notion that we could actually have a live trained actor and you can put a a trach device on their on their around their throat basically and there are sensors in there so if the student hits the quote unquote carina 
the patient's going to react and the patient will feel something to tell them it's time to react, right? So the day, is it like one of those, um, you know, way back, I might be dating myself or I think I am. I'm sure you're much younger than me, but, but um, when you used to shake hands with someone and you'd have a buzzer in your hand and it would buzz, you know, is it something like that? Like they get a, a physical signal that they've hit the carina? Yeah, not quite as noxious. Oh, good. Um, okay. My son used to use those a lot when he was a yeah. kid. So. so the device is actually a whole chest piece because they, they also need to have abnormal lung sounds. Oh, it's right? a chest piece too. Yeah, so it, oh. it really goes from, you know, about chin to, um, to, to their lower abdomen. Oh, I didn't get that. Okay. Yeah. So okay. It, it, because it has lung sounds. So think about the idea that you want the students to use their own stethoscope. Um, and you want them to be able to hear lung sounds. So that was another must have from my perspective. But it's it's really, the, it's the exact same thing that they use to vibrate a cell phone is what is in the strap of the of the product. So oh, if you kind of okay. reverse backpack, yeah. the test piece is on the front and then the straps are in the back and then the vibration goes off in the back to signal a response from the, the patient, the trained person that's wearing the device. And then the trained patient knows which signals mean what, right? Yeah. So they learn, right? It's different straps, but typically, you know, we just teach them that if they're suctioning, it's really going to be the carina sensor. And if they're doing tracheostomy care, it's going to be the faceplate sensor where they're pushing hard. Just because it's slightly different reactions, the patient has slightly different reactions to those. So we wanted them to see the real reaction um, that the patient would actually get. So once you had this prototype, then I'm sure you went through the iterations of, you know, you create another prototype and another prototype, and then you have to figure out finding a manufacturer who's actually going to make them for you. And then you have to make sure those are correct. Right. And then you have to see how they can actually get produced in larger numbers. So this is a, I mean, this is a process. I've heard about this at the National Nurses and Business Association and people at SunCL know all about you know, how you develop an actual product. Tim Raderstorff knows about it. Marion Leary knows all about it at Penn. So, you know, it's not a simple undertaking. And you created a company, right? And you're the founder and CEO. So it's avkin.com, A-V-K-I-N. So can you explain where Avkin came from? And then had you started a company before and been a CEO before? Um, I always say I'm the world's less, least likely CEO that happens to be a CEO. Okay. I had no desire to start my own company. I actually, we are, you know, the, the technology is housed, the patents for the technology are housed at the University of Delaware. And we reached out to the mannequin companies and some of the other simulation companies to try to get someone to take the, the concept and license you know, make, make them and sell them, mm-hmm. but we really couldn't get them interested. Um, and so I believe so firmly in this. And I knew that this was the next wave in simulation, um, that I started the company on my own. And, and I, I don't, I shouldn't say on my own because it wasn't me by myself. It was a team of people. Sure. Of um, course. So we, you know, the things that you described about how to get things started, I had no idea what I was saying yes to when I said yes, but my, my passion, I just firmly believed that this was such a better way mm-hmm. to make sure that, that, that students and even post-licensure nurses that aren't comfortable with certain patient interactions or procedures, that they needed the opportunity in a safe place to practice them. Mm-hmm. So I endeavored to learn all of it. I'm an ER nurse, so we take it one step at a time. Mm-hmm. And I had some great mentors and a fantastic team around me. Amazing. Uh, Wow. And you had the university behind you too. So that must've been super helpful. It was, Yeah, it definitely was. Yeah. That gave you some mentors and people to lean on, you know, not that, you know, you probably needed to get snippets of information from all different people because not everybody knows how to create a prototype or, or whatever, you know, founding a company, you know, there's a lot involved in founding a company, let alone developing an actual product that you can actually produce, manufacture, and sell, and then continue to have quality improvements and all that sort of stuff. So as we, you know, wind down, um, so we have sensors, we have trained actors, you've got, you know, that interdisciplinary credit course where all those different students from different disciplines got together and were like, okay, we're going to get an A, we're going to create this. And now here you have this company, right? So you obviously want to 
earn money at it too, because this is not a cheap endeavor either. Like you're not just creating a, a mannequin where people do CPR, you know, those are cool, but you know, they only go so far. This is pretty, this is like high level technology. These are high fidelity mannequins. So you have the trach and the chest plate, right? What other devices have you put to market and are actually being used now out there in the world? So our second product was the AVCATH, so urinary catheterization. And in that one, um, you know, it's really focused on the realism of the genitalia, the realism of when you're going to see a urine flow, wow. the lack of leaking, which is a big problem. Okay. And then the sensors are um, located uh, at the entrance to the bladder. So if you think of a urinary retention simulation, the patient would need to know when they would feel better, right? So yeah. that now when it's kind of the opposite of the trach simulation um, and then also for females at the entrance to the urethra because they usually have a, a quick jump okay. um, in that uh, for that one so that that's our avcath and again that is really focused on um, creating that realism for what they would actually be experiencing mm-hmm. um, and then we have the av stick which is our iv sleeve okay so um, that again gives great blood you know blood back and um, they can do phlebotomy and you know hang fluids and all the things that they would need to do. Um, there is a, there's a central line device and that one isn't actually the insertion of central line yet. Um, but it's the, the actual care, the care of, of central, central device. Yeah. Cool. And that one has a sensor at the, um, where the central line is inserted so yeah. that if they push too hard, that the patient can react the way the patients do. I see. It has a triple lumen as well as a porticath in that one. Great. Um, Great. The portacath can pop forward if they want to use that and then retract back if they don't. Into so it's not chest. confusing. Yeah, I see. Okay. So it's one almost, more. Oh, one more. Actually, two more. Oh. One is a heart and lung sound simulator. So it has anterior and posterior chest. So if you want, you know, a cardiac patient that has a history of congestive heart failure with, mm-hmm. you know, S1, S2, S3, S4, yeah. you can do that um, or any abnormal lung sounds. And then the Avthor is our, um, chest tube simulator. So thinking about negative pressure, you know, high levels of fluids being um, into the closed chest drainage system. Oh yes. And we have a few more coming out this year as well. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's a lot. Those are the actual physical products, but then we also help people with their SP programs through educational services as well. SP. Sorry. Simulated patient or simulated Simulated patient. Okay. Um, Okay. So that's a lot of products that you've developed and they're out on the market. Wow. And I'm assuming like, you know, when you train the actors, you know, the, the, the urinary catheterization one is a little more sensitive because, you know, the students have to be working in that vicinity of their body. So they have to be trained and comfortable and, you know, the students still have to approach them sensitively and tenderly because, you know, even though the actor is quote unquote, just wearing a simulating device, they're still approaching them in that very sensitive area of the body. So it gives them, it gives the students sort of a, not just a simulation of the, the actual um, procedure, but a, a real live, like approaching a patient saying, I'm going to touch you down here now. So there's, that's kind of a double layer for all of these in a way, right? There's Absolutely. the behavioral part, I guess you would say. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and also the fact, so, you know, it's, it's what they do. It's how they do it. So if you think about putting in a catheter, if their hand is shaking so hard that it's very clear that they're nervous, yeah. that all can be worked through in simulation versus working it through on a real patient. I see. Um, and also the, the idea of getting feedback at the end of the experience. So at the end, the character breaks from who they are in the simulation and can give feedback from the patient's perspective about how they felt and what went well, what, what things to keep and what things could be improved upon to help these students. And they love it. They love that feedback. I'm sure. And, you know, I I can just imagine like, um, of course you can have trained actors from the theater department come in and do this. However, if you get physical therapy students, pre-med students, and students from other health services coming through as trained actors, they can give even more really um, salient feedback because they're being trained as physical therapists or physicians, right? 
well, the, the interesting thing that you say that is, I remember I mentioned that we started teaching a course where we trained mm-hmm. the students in the course to be our patients. Yes. Almost 90%, maybe even a little more are pre-med students or pre-physical therapy students. And what oh. they say that they get out of that experience of wearing the devices, of being the simulated participants or being the simulated family members is they see healthcare from a whole different lens. So, you know, imagine that you're now the one laying in the bed and receiving the care. So we get comments with the tracheostomy device. I had no idea how long that suction catheter looked until I was the patient. I had no idea how, you know, it looks to have a a nervous clinician coming into the room or a a non-confident clinician. And because they actually see, typically they, they are the patient for 10 or more of these simulations, they get to see multiple groups coming in and providing care. And they get to see, these are the good things I'm going to take from these experiences and put into my actual practice. And these are the things that I'm never going to do. You know, um, it's just, it's really a, a win-win. And the ones that are wearing it are learning as much, if not more than the ones that are actually practicing it from the patient's perspective. That's fantastic. And then if you, you know, not to cast dispersions on young med students and young nursing students, but if you're a young, healthy 20-something you maybe you've never been in the hospital. You've never been catheterized. You maybe you've never had a health problem of any kind in your entire life, or maybe you have multiple sclerosis or something, and and you've actually been in the healthcare system as a patient since you were a child, right? So you have med students and nursing students who have a plethora of of life experiences they bring to the table, so to speak, as well, right? So some might just not even know what anything feels like because they've never had to feel it. Maybe they've watched their grandfather get suctioned or something. So this is I, this is so fascinating, and I'm sorry we have to wind down here, but I just feel like, you know, from the, from the point of view of where you're coming from, this there's sort of like no holds barred around where this could go and what you're doing now could actually be combined with virtual reality and augmented reality and become even deeper. And, and I'm sure we could have another conversation about that. So um, I just wanted to ask really quick. So AVKIN, A-V-K-I-N, I get the K-I-N, right? Which is um, mannequin, right? But A-V, what's, where's, am I missing something? So um, we had to rebrand about a year and a half into our um, into our company um, history, and that's a whole nother story. Okay. But um, when we did so, we actually had a little bit of money that we could pay a marketing company to help us. Yeah. So what you know what they first do is look at what what dot com is available, and akin dot com was available. So if you think of akin, just like you know the idea of mannequin, yeah. And we thought, oh, that's great. But then we found out that we couldn't trademark it, which was one of the problems from oh. why we had to rebrand. So then we began to look for um, Latin words because, you know, there's so many different things. So they suggested the word there. So V-E-R means true. True. Right. So we thought, oh, truly like the real thing. Mm-hmm. So it would have been Verican, right? Mm-hmm. That would have been the name of it. But they wanted us to have A as the first letter. Mm-hmm. So... We then went to American, right? So we moved the A to the front. But then we thought that sounds too much like American and it, they could misspell it with the dot com. So we just shortened it to Avkin. So that's, oh. in our hearts, it means truly like the real thing. I like the the ver from the Latin, like verdad or in mm-hmm. Spanish. So I like that. That's nice. And it's always cool to hear where these names come from. Some of them are just pulled out of the air through marketers, like the way they think about letters and and how they work psychologically and stuff. So good. I just wanted to understand that. So if people want to learn about Avkin, it's avkin.com, right? And Mm -hmm. do you have a social media um, presence as well? We do. We have Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. I want to say just as as a person who just likes marketing and all that and social media that I think Instagram would be a really good platform for you all. Cause it's so visual. So we might have, we actually might have an Instagram. <laughs> I, I'm, I apologize. I am not an Instagrammer. So okay. um, I know that there's been some conversation about it. So if I find it, I will put it in the show notes and the show notes okay. will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode in the number three eleven. So 
wow, Amy, you're, you're awesome. This is amazing. And it'll be great to have you back, like say in 2022, when you have more products out and maybe there's some new innovations that we can talk about, but this is fantastic. And I think in the, in the context of the pandemic, this, I mean, your timing is, is just couldn't be better. So thanks for, for helping improve nursing education, because it's actually going to benefit me when I'm in the hospital. So, you know, I'm 56 going on 57 and, you know, I'm going to end up there at some point, I'm sure. So, you know, yeah. So thanks for helping make my healthcare better. I understand. (laughs) Yeah. So thank you. You're really wonderful. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right. There you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode. And remember, the show notes are at nursekeith.com forward slash episode and the number 311, where you can learn all about Amy Calperthwaite, avkin.com, see links and all sorts of stuff so you can learn all about them and share it with people you know who would benefit. I hope you uplifted, empowered from this episode, and I encourage you to take inspired and innovative action like Amy has throughout her career in the interest of your personal and professional satisfaction and your career growth. And remember, if you need personalized holistic career coaching, whether you're a nurse, physician, physical therapist, social worker, remember you can come to me, mention the show and get 10% off your first coaching package. And remember at nursekeith.com, there are job listings from Reload, Trusted Health, Incredible Health, ZipRecruiter, excellent resume templates from the Resume Rx, and a lot more. The Nurse Keith Show is a member of Ars Longa Media, speaking of Latin, a collaborative network of podcasts and media entities dedicated to professional education and partnering to improve social ills. They are at arslonga.media. We are also a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, one of the largest and fastest growing collections of authoritative, high quality podcasts taking on the tough topics in health and care with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. Check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com where you can see Amplify Nursing with Marion Leary of UPenn, Sanjay Gupta of CNN and his coronavirus fact versus fiction podcast, and a whole lot more. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting, and Mark Cappy Spiesen is our stalwart social media ringmaster. My thanks to Rob and Mark for keeping the wheels turning in the right direction. Otherwise, I might make them turn backwards. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful, windy, and cold Santa Fe, New Mexico, and our new friend of the pod, Amy Cowperthwaite. Bidding you adieu from Delaware, the state of Delaware. Thank you, Amy. Thanks for everyone for being here with us. And we will catch you on the flip side.